that'll be one of those little wins for the day on yeah. top of all the other losses that you might have. You got one thing to say, I did this today and it made me feel good. Good morning, Edward. I am excited to have you here today as a guest on our podcast, The Principalship, The Worst Job I Ever Loved. Um, I am excited to introduce our audience to you. We've been thrilled at IEE to begin to get to know you a little bit and learn about your work and your practice. And I think you have a lot to share the people who listen to our podcast and who need a little bit of motivation. So welcome. Thank you, Sherry, for having me. Um, it was exciting to uh, to get the invite, you know, just speaking with you and just talking with you without any, you know, uh, agenda or anything. And then you invite me here. It, it, it felt good to get that invite. So I'm happy to be here. I've been in the game for a long time and I pray that I have something to share that will help somebody because it's rough out there. It is rough out there. And that's really the purpose behind our podcast. Uh, and we want to inspire people to uh, stick to it to find uh, kind of the resources they need to bring them peace as they're doing their work because, you know, the kids need us. The kids yes, need people do. that care about them. So, so Edward, tell um, us about your background, um, how you got to the place you are right now and your current role in the school you're at. Well, Sherry, that's a long, I'm going to call it a testimony <laughs> because it's definitely a testimony from where I came from to where I am today. Born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, Detroit Public Schools, graduated of Cody High School. Oh. Um, was grace of God that I got into Michigan State University as a math major. Um, I chose math because that was one of the teachers or individuals that loved on me, that helped me, that guided me. And so I declared myself a math major. And I got into Michigan State. Um, of course, now, a little bit more details. I got into a bridge program because my grades weren't that great, but I was motivated. And I worked to get into Michigan State. Um, stayed as a math major all the way through. It was tough. It was tough. I had to go there and just learn how to learn how to be a student. And, you know, just working with other individuals and uh, meeting the right people and a lot of prayer and a lot of, um, just guidance, I got through. Graduated my math degree in 1992 and um, at a career fair there, met several different districts, but some type of way I got guided to Southfield Public Schools. And that's why I am today. I started teaching there in 1992 as a math teacher. And then my career started taking off from there. I was not interested in becoming an administrator <laughs> at all. Not at all. But um, I started at a middle school there, Bernie well, Middle School, and uh, the principal there at the time was transitioned to the high school. And from that point, um, he had great foresight. He knew what to do in order to prepare for what's coming. And so he started in, um, recruiting minority individuals for the school because it wasn't a lot there. Mm -hmm. And so he recruited me for two years to come over. I kept fighting it. I was comfortable. I was happy. I was coaching track and field. I was coaching cross country. I was getting home in time to watch Oprah every day. <laughs> so <laughs> I wasn't interested. Yeah. So um, he finally, you know, said, hey, come on over. We're going to look out for you and do this. 
Then I went to Lathrop High School in 1997. I was teaching mathematics. From that point, I guess, and we do it a lot. We're guilty of this. People who do good work, we tap into them to think they're going to be great administrators, and we take them out of the classrooms. That's what happened to me. I didn't pursue it. It pursued me. Yeah. I was um, a math teacher in one of the small schools at the time. Uh, we have four small schools. I was one of the math teachers in one of the small schools. That was a concept at the time. Um, I was also the building scheduler at the time. I was working on the scheduling team to build uh, a school schedule for, at that time, like 2,500 students. So that was fun. I, I'm analytical and I enjoy doing that type of stuff. Uh, from that point, the then principal then retired. One of the assistant principals was asked to commit as interim. And then, hold and below, hey, come on. Ed, you can do this. We need you. I went in as interim. Did interim for about, say, six to eight months, then transitioned to AP. And I was AP at Lathrop from 1997 to 19, no, to 2004, no, 2008. So I stayed there for a while. Uh, then they broke up the team. I went over to another K-8 school for a couple of years. And then I came back to the school that I started in, in 2010 as the principal. So it's a whole lot of stuff I missed in there, but ultimately that's how I got to the principalship. First of all, you said you chose your math ma major because you had someone who loved on you and encouraged you in that field. And yes. that really speaks to the importance of the impact we have on kids, whether we're the teacher, the person on the line serving food, the bus driver. Um, it's about the, the relationships we form definitely, with kids. Definitely, definitely. And um, I, I try to pay homage to her every time I get the opportunity because um, without her guidance, without her leadership, without her care, I don't know what I'd be doing right now. I don't know if you know much about Cody High School, Detroit Public Schools. It's not really, and I hate to say anything, that's the place I came from but it wasn't really idea conditions to prepare students to become college students who ultimately get professional careers. They were pushing um, Voltec and going to learn a skill because they thought that's what you know we needed. That's what we wanted. I actually got into a, um, a debate, uh, intense fellowship, if you want to call it, with my counselor at the time because uh, he wanted me to go to OTAC or Voltec. I didn't want to. I wanted to stay in school. My grades weren't great. They were not, but I convinced my mom to convince him I will focus, I'll stay in school. And ultimately I got, you know, out of there. GPA wasn't the greatest, but I did get in through, at the time at Michigan State, it was called the CAP program. And in the CAP program, they took me in. I got services, I got tutoring for a couple of years, and then I was off on my own. It was hard work, Sherry, it was hard. But, you know, just trying to navigate uh, the state, the Michigan State University campus and meeting people and learning how to study, learning how to do homework, learning how this time management. Um, I got myself together after about my second year and I pulled it off. Here I am. It's a higher power. Believe me, they got me through. <laughs> yes. We, in our intentions to help kids be successful, 
we sometimes categorize them or encourage them to go down a certain path. Mm -hmm. And um, I've always encouraged my own children and the kids I work with, like, keep your doors open, right? Like, (laughs) don't decide on this and think that in 40 years, that's what you're going to be doing when you're 20 or when you're 19 or you're 18, right? Keep your doors open. And the idea that you had the um, fortitude and the the persistence to push for what you believed was right for you is commendable. And I think as adults in schools, we got to recognize that while all kids have potential, they don't all have that persistence. And it's up to us to help them foster that, to keep those doors open. And we need more individuals like that to see the big picture, because ultimately uh, the more successful students was leaving uh, my high school and going to get uh, jobs at like the, the big three or just starting careers doing something. They weren't really focused on college, but a small percentage, a, a small percentage did go through and do very well. But for the most part, from that neighborhood, from that school, it was about landing a job, finding a career to try and raise a family. But ultimately, I was one of that small percentage that went on to college, struggled through, but I got through, and here I am today. The other thing you said um, was that you had a principal who was able to be forward-thinking, and he started to recruit uh, you to become a leader Probably, and you said, I think these are my words, but at a time when you were just really happy with life the way it was and didn't see that in yourself. And I think that's an important um, skill. There are two important skills that you talked about in that. One is the ability to look to the future and sort of know what's coming and plan for that. And two, this idea that we build other leaders is a responsibility of the school leader. So can you talk about both of those from your perspective and how they shaped you and how you do it in your current role? On a side note, Sherry, that was a wonderful paraphrase. I love oh, it. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful so, paraphrase. We've been working on that, haven't we? Adam? We've been and I've been working too. on it, too. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Um, and if I, can I use his name? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, if you Todd think he's Henderson. comfortable, I'm comfortable with that. Okay. Yes. Mr. Todd Henderson uh, was my first principal that I was hired in with. And um, Todd just had great foresight. He kind of figured out what needed to be done and start putting pieces in place to make that happen. It may not happen right then, but maybe a year, two years down the line, that would be in place. Well, at Lathrop High School at the time, it wasn't a large African-American representation and faculty over there at all, but the community was changing. And so you had African-American kids coming to this institution and not seeing a whole lot of us at all. And so he said, I got to do something different. So he started recruiting African-American teachers or teachers that represented the student body. You had Chaldean you had um, European, you had African-American, you had Asian, and he was pulling in teachers that looked like those students so the students could be comfortable in a school setting. And so I finally gave in, I went over there. It was the best decision I made in my life. It it was the best. Um, I got there, I started enjoying it, but ultimately just me doing what I love, doing what I enjoyed, I guess that spoke volumes to others to say, hey, we need to tap into some more potential of this young man and uh, we're going to use him. We're going to make him grow. I fought it tooth and nail. I didn't want to change. I didn't want to do, I was coaching. I was loving it. 
I was uh, making money. I didn't have a whole lot of bills. And once again, I got home in time to watch TV at that time <laughs> and exercise and just enjoy life. You say you didn't have bills. That was before babies, right? <laughs> oh, that hadn't started yet. <laughs> That's a little bit down the line. That yeah. hadn't started yet. But um, but ultimately, he had, he had great knowledge of what needed to be done by just looking at the environment and said, hey, I need this, this, and this. So when we got there, I learned a whole lot from him as far as um, the initial parts of the evaluation process, um, just taking care of people, building relationships, and ultimately holding teachers accountable. I, I first started that with him. Yeah, that's amazing. So how do you um, look forward in your current work? And how do you build that leadership pipeline albeit informally, how do you apply that in your leadership and your work right now? Um, I have had three wonderful leaders, Todd being one of them. The person that followed him was another. And during that time, we were in a transition of the principal administrative role. It started out as being a great building manager. Okay. You were Dean a wonderful principal, if you can manage your darn building. If the classes are covered, they need to be covered. If um, students and staff are safe. Um, if the heating and cooling is functioning okay and it's not too cold and not too hot in the classroom. If the lunchroom is orderly, um, if the building's clean, and if the culture and climate is okay, if you got that stuff under control, you would deem a great principal. Well, as the years rolled on, instructional leader became a part of that and you had to wear those two hats and so now instead of just managing the building now you have to juggle making sure the teaching and learning is current every day okay so the second person that came in behind my initial principal was a great instructional leader and i picked up characteristics from her um and i learned from her keeping up with best practices so you're able to talk uh, to staff about what might be good in the classroom, what might work. Uh, started checking weekly lesson plans, which is another just area that you had to deal with and, and add on your plate. Um, conducting classroom walkthroughs and observations and giving feedback to teachers about what you saw so they can improve their crafts. Um, doing, conducting data analysis so you can identify what we deem as a problem of practice so you can start putting things in place to address whatever that issue is in your building. Um, making sure staff and students are prepared for district and state assessments, you know, just making sure things in order for that. And also working to stay off of what we call today the partnership list. That has evolved a little bit more to now being a building manager and instructional leader and wearing those two hats. Another big piece that pretty blew up after the pandemic has been an advocate for social emotional learning. That's been the bulk of our work nowadays. I'm still I'm still working on you know building management thing. I got a great partner that's helping me with that. Instructional leader, you're learning every day about instructional leading and um, strategies for the classroom and best teaching strategies and all that. But this social emotional thing, Sherry, has you got to get that under control before the teaching and learning can take place. 
Um, prior to the pandemic, we were already working on best practices for restorative work and, you know, building relationships. We were doing trainings on that, coming back, training the staff so that they can implement it in their classrooms. After the pandemic, it blew up. And now you have to worry about the social emotional learning of staff, not only staff, but students and also parents. All that came into play because several of my families came off of this pandemic in not a good mental and sometimes physical state. And you can't just let that go and start testing. Here's the NWEA, here's the iReady. Here, you better do well on the state assessment. We had to get that stuff under control where people were working on the five competencies of SEL. You know, you yeah. gotta get this stuff down first. But before I got into that, I had to learn for myself first, first and foremost. It was about me and learning about my self-awareness, learning about my self-management, uh, learning how to make this responsible decision-making. And I thought I had to do that in order to better teach others how to do it. So during the virtual time, I was pulling articles. We were in staff meetings, going through articles. We were uh, learning about SEL, first for the staff. Because if they don't know about it, they couldn't teach it to the students. So we did some um, preparation with the staff about SEL, identifying triggers, um, building relationships, uh, social awareness. And ultimately, once the, the staff learn, they can start implementing it into their classrooms and helping the students learn how to do that. It's still a work in progress for us to have a system that's implemented with fidelity, but it's something that we're working on because in my belief and some of my colleagues teaching and learning cannot take place um res acceptable results on these assessments will not be good unless people know about themselves and how to deal identify and deal with triggers i hope that all makes sense yeah so there, there's a lot to unpack in all that because you're clearly a very thoughtful leader <laughs> so I, I, tr I try i try so so the first piece of that unpacking is regarding the question about, you know, what are you applying to your work? And you listed, I mean, all of the things and more that that make up the job of the, of the school principal. But one of the things I heard you say was you're a lifelong learner and that every experience you had with a, an adult that you interacted with who was either your superior or your colleague or the needs of the environment in which you were in or the result of the pandemic, you are always learning and always looking to improve yourself. And I get a sense, although you didn't say it, you get a bit of energy from that opportunity to learn and grow. And, and for me, it's a create, that's the part of the creative process is figuring out what direction we should be moving in next. And that, that learning is creative for me. It's a lot of times as principals, we're out of the classroom and we're out of the loop with um, the new curriculum and what's going on, you got to stay on top of that stuff because ultimately people come to you first with questions. So we find ourselves uh, delving into what's new. You know, is PDs offered all over the place, you know, through the uh, intermediate school district or online classes now to learn a little bit about what's new and what's work, what works. And ultimately we introduce those strategies, those tactics, those procedures at staff meetings, uh, doing POC meetings, 
a professional learning community meetings so uh, we can stay on top of what's going on so we can talk intelligently to teachers and make good suggestions to them about what they can do better to make their results better. So yeah, we're always learning. The other thing you talked about um, really is uh, your, you and your team's recognition about trauma and social emotional learning. And I know that uh, teachers and school leaders across the country are just completely overwhelmed by um, the mental state of their students, their families, and themselves as they're trying to navigate standardized tests and things. Um, what's something you've put in place that was a really good first step? What was a really good first step to help bring a little bit of calm to the building? First step. One thing that, I, that I'm kind of proud of that we've done, we've established an advisory period. Uh, some people call it homeroom. Some people call it, you know, it's the first 30 minutes of the day. And we've trained staff to just build relationships, get to know students, check this check the temperature of students as they're walking into that advisory period. Every teacher has it. Um, every student's assigned to a particular teacher. And that's a period to know students, learn about students, being able to hear what's going on and hopefully assist those students or point them in the right direction. So that 30 minute advisory period has been a blessing to us because it's a, it's a time that you can check that student that's coming in just as having a bad day because they got into it with the parent. Um, the bus ride wasn't great. Um, they didn't eat breakfast just in the morning. They didn't have dinner last night. But it's just a relationship building time. And to build that in there, it assists us in getting our day started on a hopefully promising note uh, for the kid that just needs to go and see somebody. They can send them to a counselor. They can send them to somebody if that kid is just not sitting right. It's a time the kids can get things off their chest and talk about what's going on in their lives. Um, it's just been um, a welcome addition to our schedule. Um, it's an advisory period. And we try to make that our designated in that, that time, SEL time. But SEL is also being taught to be used throughout the school day in every class. But that particular time is the designated time to do that and learn about the students. And, you know, it, it made me think when you said that, you know, there are lots of schools that have advisory and there are curriculum programs they work through. And um, oftentimes, I think in schools, we put kids in situations, not because we're bad people or anything, but just in, in situations we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to live into as adults and one of them is when we arrive at work in the morning or we get on our first phone call where we say hey how are you how was your weekend what's been happening in your life like we connect with the people we um, are interacting with at work and yet we send kids to school and say it's 8 52 let's start math right and so what you're saying is you're building in that opportunity for the water cooler connection that we all value at work yes <laughs> and yes. i that's commendable. It's just yeah. one step towards building relationships. It's, it's, it's also a tough part to that also that we've been trying to deal with. And Sherry, you've been a, a building principal. You already know not every staff member has that tact or strategic um, ability to build relationships 
and talk to kids. They all don't have it. Okay, you you you, you pray that they do. But what we're finding is that maybe in Sherry's class, she's doing a hell of a job getting to know kids, building relationships, identifying those kids with needs and also providing those needs. But in another classroom, it's just not being done as effective. So how do you make it a building-wide um, initiative and have all the kids receive the same effective work with staff? And that's what we're running into right now. Yeah. And so we're, we're trying to go around and do walkthroughs and observe what's going on. And it's been some wonderful things going on, but yet you got some that I think could step up the game a little bit, put a little bit more into it, but I had to come to the realization where I'm not cut the same. Well, we're, we're, we're not. IE has a, a, right now a day one, but we're working on day two of trauma, uh, building a trauma sensitive culture training. I'm not trying to give a shameless plug here, but I'm, it's response to your question. And for me, I worked with a friend and colleague uh, who's a practicing social worker and recognized that people in other fields come at student, I'm going to call it behavior because in the educational setting, that's what we've always called it, from a different perspective than we do. Like they see student behavior at the root cause and we see student behavior from the point of impact on others, right? So. Yes. Uh, we've developed this day-long training that Stacy and I connect, conduct together around opening educators' views to recognize that the sassy student is hungry. The uh, and, and that's a generalization, right? Or that um, the behaviors aren't motivated through malice; they're a response to a trigger, which we may not see or understand, and. Yes. One of my goals in this process is to open up the empathy of the, the educators that work with kids every day and take them back to that place, our why, why we went into school, right? Because people don't go in saying, I'm going to ruin that kid's day today. That's not how anybody went into education. I'm, I'm going to get even with every kid because every teacher did it to me. Like, there's no, uh, what was the teacher's name, the principal's name on uh, Matilda, Mrs. Miss. Trunchbull, right? We're not Miss Trunchbulls, but there are people who are carrying their own baggage and yes. they have their own yes. trauma and the kid who's sassy causes a trigger in them. And so it's really about opening up people's eyes to empathy. I think regardless if you're good at relationship or building or not, we all have to have empathy for kids. And I had to realize that, Sherry. So I had to come through, I was getting so frustrated I had to come to the realization that we all don't come from the same places. We all don't have the same experiences. We all don't have the same understanding. And what, I, what I've come to believe in is that a lot of times hurt people hurt people. Okay. And if you got something going on in your own life that you haven't dealt with, it's going to rear itself in several ways, intentionally or not intentionally, to other people if you don't address it. And that's something that we've been trying to work on. Yeah, well, I commend you for that work. It's hard work. It's hard work oh, to dig into yes. adults' personal lives and help them see, you know, their own struggles. So I commend it's you hard, for that. It's, it's hard to identify things in adults that they don't see in themselves. That's a hard conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's got it's got to be it's got to be had sometimes. Yeah. You know, and again, that's you know the work of adaptive schools and cognitive coaching and. 
building an environment of trust and helping people look inward and be reflective. And um, yeah, so thank you for doing that good work on behalf of kids. It's hard. hard I'm hard. trying. I'm trying. It's not perfect, but we're trying. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to mention one more thing um, that I heard throughout um, our conversation, and I suspect it's a it's a centering point for you, and it's probably something that keeps you balanced, informed, and able to do this hard work. And it's not going to be for everybody, but for those those who it is for, they need to recognize and learn. And multiple times throughout this, I heard you mention your faith. And, and and your faith is probably a paramount piece of your work. And we're in public schools. We don't, we're not supposed to talk about God and our beliefs and our faith, but we all bring something with us that centers us. And so talk to me about that and how it centers you. Um, I grew up in a, um, a Christian household where we prayed, uh, we went to church, and that's just instilled in me. And it's something that I always do. Um, during those hard times, take a deep breath, close your eyes, and you think about something that makes you feel good. Um, and I, I don't know, it's a whole lot. Like you said, you can't talk about it in, in school much, but it's something that I do, it's something that I practice. I think people see it in me anyway, but um, I try not to influence others with it, but it's something that I do. I pray every morning. I get up. Yeah. Uh, I pray on the way to work. Um, I listen to uh, Christian radio on the way to work just to give me that base for the day to get me through the day. Um, and it's something that helps me. I can't say it's going to help everybody, but it does help me. Outside of the faith, I cycle a lot. I ride a bike. That centers me. That gives me peace. I do it in the mornings before work. And if I feel good after work, I'll do it again after work. But I ride a bike. I need something that I, I suggest people find something that they enjoy doing, whether it be a walk, a run, um, um, singing with a group of people that you like, a book club, something every single day that makes you feel good, do it. That'll be one of those little wins for the day. On top of all the other losses that you might have, you got one thing to say, I did this today and it made me feel good. And so, and anytime I'm encountering a, a rough situation, before I get there, I'm praying. Yeah. Work with my mind, work with my mouth. Let me get through this and, you know, let it all be what it's going to be. But let me do a stand up job and whatever I'm doing here. Yeah. And it's something that I just do on the normal, regularly now. So, two things about that. I have felt my whole career that I am blessed to do the work God sent me here to do. And mm -hmm. I don't think every profession feels that way. Um, but I feel blessed that I am doing the God's work with with kids. And I, I ask all the time that he work through me and help me know <laughs> how to navigate whatever situation I'm about. Amen. Amen. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and for other people, it is going to be different for them. And I'm also not here to judge. So good. But your point being, find your thing. Find, find your thing. Yeah. Yes. Find your thing that brings you peace and serenity and helps you feel successful. And I want to add to that and then hold the boundary. I can't tell you how many teachers and principals I hear say, I don't have time. I really used to like to do yada, 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 but my life doesn't allow for that anymore. 
And I have learned over my career that when I put all those, all those things in front of myself, I'm no good to anybody. And so hold the boundary. I think I have a podcast on there about balance. I used to look for balance and now I look for boundaries. So hold the boundary that I'm going to take care of myself. Got to, got Mm -hmm. to. That was one of the suggestions I was going to offer is that uh, you some advice to principals. Um, Take care of yourself first. You got to take care of yourself first because, you know, I tell my, this is my staff all the time. Take care of yourself, take care of your family. Because if you go down, your house more than likely is going to go down and work is going to go down. So you have to take care of yourself mentally and physically. That mental piece, do what you like. Do what just makes you feel good. Do it every day if you can. Um, you know, uh, build relationships also. You know, get to know people. Talk to people. Find yourself in the hallway just saying hello in the morning, just saying good morning, shaking hands. Um, get to know the culture and climate of your building. Just just sometimes I'm sitting there, I'm doing a report or something, I just get frustrated. I take a walk. I go to the kindergarten classroom. I sit down and just with the colors on the wall and with the kids engaged, it brings me back around. Happiest place I, on earth. Oh, my gosh. I go to my band room and the kids are in there just playing the instruments. I'll go to my dance room and just watching the kids perform, get myself together, come back, and I'll knock out whatever is there. Take breaks throughout the day. Work is going to always be there. But take care of yourself, whether it be with vitamins, exercise, praying, um, whatever it might be, do it daily. Find your niche, whatever it is. It will help. Yeah, great. Yes, I love those examples. Thanks for sharing them. So a um, couple more things. Ed. So what was the most difficult challenge you faced as a school leader? Ooh, difficult. And I tell this story all the time to my colleagues that think they want to be principals. The most difficult situation I encountered when I was a teacher at Southfield Lathrop and my principal kept tapping me into becoming an administrator, then I became an administrator in that same building. Mm-hmm. Well. That brings on a whole lot more controversy than you would think. You think it'd be an easy, smooth transition. Yeah. You think, oh, I'm on top of the world. I know you guys. I work with you guys. This is going to be a cakewalk. Uh-huh. No, it was not. Yeah. Um, you know, you're with your colleagues. You're hanging out with them. You're meeting on payday Fridays uh, at whatever place you want to go to. Um, you're, you're, you're on phones to one another. You're eating lunch together. That all changes. Yep. Now you looked at and deemed the enemy. Okay. You're on that side now. And it was such a difficult time, Sherry. I mean, you mean the, the faith really had to come into play because people that you once were cool with, they didn't want to deal with you anymore. And they'll let you know it also. Yeah. Yeah. But I had to center myself. And what got me through was that I got to do what's best for kids and best for this building. And I can't really worry about the individuals that want first hour prep now, but you got third hour prep, okay? And, you know, just dealing with the small nuances of things that wouldn't normally be a problem, but now that you're the supervisor and you're observing me, now you're the enemy. So your friendship circle becomes this big now to this big. And that was a difficult transition for me. I I experienced the same thing. We have a podcast uh, called uh, The Skin of a Rhinoceros. Okay. Uh, 
about that because it is a difficult transition. You really find out who your friends are. Oh man, man. Really? I didn't really, I didn't really have any after that. Not yeah. not on the, yeah. not on the teaching ranks. There were a few that I still communicated with that kept me abreast of what was going on, but ultimately, you know, it was non-existent anymore. It's lonely. And, and if you don't have a thick skin, uh mm-hmm. which you have to grow to get a, a thick skin, it can ruin your career. Yeah. Yeah, yes, because we become people pleasers then if you're not yes. really ready to, to to hold on to them. But let's end on a positive note. What was your best experience as a school leader? The thing that you you like you just reflect on and go like that was great. Um just working collaboratively with a group, whether it be staff or students, and you see a positive outcome for whatever project or whatever you're working on. It feels good to instill your thoughts, instill your work, instill your beliefs into something and watch it work. That's that's always a wonderful thing. Um, when people come back to say thank you, it's always good, whether it be an adult or a student. I was at a basketball game last Friday, just watching a, a girls basketball game and a member on the opposing team's bench is looking at me, one of the coaches. He's just looking at me. I'm like, who is this guy? And so at the end of the game, I go up to him. Hey, how you doing? He said, Mr. Hill. I said, yeah, what's going on? Remind me of your name. He told me who his name was. He said, man, I just want to say thank you for standing on me, standing on top of me and helping me with get, get through. I really appreciate that because you were on me. I said, man, thank you. I'm glad to see you doing what you're doing. And I appreciate you telling me that because I don't hear that all the time. So just people coming back saying thank you for whatever I did to get them through or to change their life. That's always a great thing. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. And I'm sure you've influenced so positively many kids and teachers and keep doing it because we need people like Ed Hill in the world uh, making making things happen for kids. Yeah, I try. I try. Listen, I was I was led to this. I was destined to do this. And I just try to be the best that I can be. Join us for our next episode of The Principalship, The Worst Job I Ever Loved.